Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. Can you believe it's we're on we're in October? We're just a little bit more than two months away for some of our. You can go. I feel like you're. Like, for those of you online, uh, never mind. Uh, Christmas is coming. Uh, what is it? October the third today. So that's 28 days plus 30 is 58 plus 24 is 82. 82 days till Christmas. Yeah. But let's enjoy fall first, okay? The next 93 days of rain. It's going to be fantastic. Unless you're in Princeton, you're going to have snow. And Daniel and Katie are in Princeton this morning. And for our Princeton people, I know that Daniel looks super polished this morning, but secretly he's a hunter and a fisherman, so he would be well indebted to you if you would show him where to hunt, where to find the ones that all of us uh, mainlanders come up there and can't find, uh, all the deer, uh, fishing holes, anything like that. I know that he would be really, really appreciative of that because I think he got skunked last year, maybe. He'll let me know, believe me, it's probably going to show up right now on my text. No, Pastor, I was not. So uh, also you may notice uh, Pastor Mike is not here this morning. Uh, he's recovering from uh, some com- complications uh, from COVID. And so please just continue to pray for him. If, if he has ever contacted you to check up on you, this is your chance to get him back. Amen. Yeah. Sometimes you're the one being encouraged. Sometimes you're the one encouraging. So if you have his, uh, his text number or mike at horizonchurch.ca, just let him know that you're praying for him. In fact, I'm going to pray for him right now, and then we'll dive, dive into what we have this morning. So, Lord, thank you for Mike, Lord. Thank you for this man of God. Thank you for this uh, one that's just a purveyor of joy and of your love and of your presence, Lord. So, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to touch him in his physical body, that you would bring him to full and complete restoration, Lord, that his lungs would take on health, Lord, that his body would take on health, and that you would do uh, beyond what he would think or imagine the speed of your healing touch in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, for the last number of weeks, this is week six and the final week of our return uh, series where where we've been just talking about this concept of come let us return. Someone say return. Return unto the Lord. Return to prayer we talked about. First of all, before we, we, we wanted to set the, the, the stage, so to speak, return unto me, says the Lord. Not, not just return to do something, but return to the Lord. And in Luke 15, we talked about returning to our Father, our Heavenly Father, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is ready to receive and welcome us back. Returning to prayer, returning to fasting, returning to repentance. And last week we talked about how as we return, God is restoring things that uh, back better than we could think by ourselves. That God would do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or even imagine according to the power of Christ that's at work within us. That by his good 
excuse me, by his good Holy Spirit, that he would activate you to a new perspective, that he would cause each and every one of us to begin to dream again, to begin to lift up our eyes again and allow the Holy Spirit to drop some vision for our life in, no matter what age bracket we're in, whether we're 15 or we're 150, no, nobody that old, but whether whatever age you are, whatever your life background, that in God, that as we return to him, he's able to restore things beyond what we could ever imagine by ourselves. And as Joel 2 and 13 said, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. That's the kind of God that we're returning to. And James 4, 8 reminds us, as we draw near to God, he will what? Draw near to you, draw near to me. So what's next as we begin to transition in this week, as we return to the Lord and to come back to Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, to come back to Jesus, coming back to our purpose in God. Let us return to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see and our hearts to understand, not for someone else, but for ourselves, Lord. That, that you would adjust us, that you would, that you would move in our lives, Lord, that you would cause us to see things afresh and anew in what you're calling each one of us as individuals to today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's next in seasons when you talk about return is, you know, a number probably two, three weeks ago, a young couple in our church got married and they were happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they still are. It's only been three weeks or so. But they had dated. They had had all kinds of questions asked of each other. People asked them questions. They had gone through premarital counseling. They had saved up money for a big day. They had made the plans of a place to have a wedding ceremony at. They had invited all the people. And then on that day, on that Friday, they were united in marriage. And everything ended right then. No. Well, sometimes we're silly with things like that. The wedding was simply the beginning of a marriage that needed continual investment, that needs continual uh, healing, that needs continual uh, thought and progress and words to be shared. The wedding started something called marriage. And when you get a fishing license, the goal is not to say, look, I have a fishing license. The goal is to catch fish. I notice I said goal. Very rarely happens if I go with you. It's the start of fishing when you get that license, so to speak. And when you get a driver's license, the goal is not to say I have a driver's license. The goal is to drive. I remember when I got my license, July the 21st, 1987. It was a great day. And, but then I suddenly realized all this time I wanted to drive everywhere. And suddenly when my mom needed something from the store, I was up, go get it. When, I needed, when someone needed to be picked up, I was up. And after a while, I didn't really like it too much. But the reason I got the license was to drive. And when we return to Jesus, it's the start of a journey, not the end of a story. It's the beginning of a life in God that absolutely is different and better than we could ever have had by ourselves. And 
we begin to not just come to the Lord, but then we transition to now follow. We returned so that we can follow. When, where are you going? Where are we going? Where's, our, where's your business going? Most of us, if you're a business person, you need continual blessing of the Lord more than you think. You need the leading of the Lord. You need the blessing of the Lord. You need contacts that only God can bring. You need fresh ideas. If you're an artist, maybe God would move in you and cause you and lead you into something fresh. Maybe your marriage right now is heading to an empty nest and you're wondering what it could look like. That's us right now. What will it look like? Maybe you're struggling at work and you're wondering, where am I going to go with this? Maybe you're a teenager trying to figure out what your next step is in life. What would God have for you? Maybe you're struggling with interpersonal things at work that are causing you angst and frustration. And you're wondering, where is this going? Maybe you're an older adult. That's the nice way to say it now, in case you didn't know. Older adult, and you're wondering, I still have life. I still have strength. What would the next phase of my life look like? What to do, where to go? And then what does the future look like, particularly in a season where the dark seems so dark and the world seems so crazy? Where are we going in the middle of so much unpredictability? And as we look at, in a moment, the Gospel of Matthew, where we come to Jesus and look what he says in moments like this. See, Jesus had grown up, and here he was. We're finding him in Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4. Jesus had just been, uh, first of all, he was baptized, just about to begin his journey to, to what God had called him for, what God had sent him to the earth for. And then he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the, by the enemy and was encouraged to leave what God had called him to do, but he made a choice, no, I'm not going to do that, and continued to follow the Lord. And he came out of that, and then he began his journey to change the world. And he did it by this. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net. Somebody say they were busy. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. They were busy. Jesus called them, and immediately, immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Follow me. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. In, that, in those days, it was customary for a teacher or a rabbi to have disciples. There was nothing weird about what Jesus was doing. It was calling people to follow him. And, and they, in some aspects, Jesus offered them a traditional rabbinical or religious education. And in some ways, it was a little different from others. Disciples of other rabbis were able to continue in their trades, but Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him full time, to leave everything for him. And in contrast to everyone else, Jesus chose his disciples where typically other rabbis would wait to see who followed them. And through our 21st century eyes, we might see a sacrifice. Guys with a job, 
finances, with family, with all of that, having to leave and follow somebody. But to these four men, this was the opportunity of a lifetime. Ordinary fishermen could have the opportunity to have an upgrade. They got to follow the up-and-coming rabbi of the day named Jesus and to literally be changed the whole direction of their life in a moment. They did not see sacrifice. They saw opportunity. They saw that their life was going to change in a moment. They had been called. They had been invited by Jesus to participate with him in the mission that God had sent him on. He was just beginning to grow in popularity and they were kind of able to get in at the ground floor, so to speak. And they, they didn't have the perspective that Jesus was lucky to have them. They were absolutely enthralled. That's why they did what they did with the possibility of being able to follow Jesus. And Peter, James, and John responded so differently than we might today. But I want to remind you that it's the pattern of God to look for people. It's the pattern of God to be calling people. It's the pattern of God to see people that others only see as one way or as a, as a, as a culmination of their decisions to that moment. But Jesus sees you differently. Jesus in, sees you as, and is willing to call you and is calling you, not just to return to him, but also to follow him into the next phase of your life. That there, What that means, though, is that your life is not all that it has been to this moment in your life that there is more for you than what Jesus has so far brought you into. It's an ongoing moment. And I'm reminded as throughout the scriptures, particularly in Jeremiah chapter one, where God said this to the prophet Jeremiah about 26, 2700 years ago, who went on to be one of the, law, the uh, prophets called the weeping prophet for 40 plus years. He prophesied, prophesied and just spoke for God. And at the very beginning though, this is what it said. He, he says, the Lord says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. And to all of us, it's such a great reminder. When God calls you, it's not because you've arrived. It's not because you have it all together. It's not because everything's worked in your life to this moment. It's not because you're all gifted and God's gift to the world all by yourself. It's simply because God sees you as you are, not as you feel like you are. God sees you put together, functioning, flowing in and through what he has already called you to do. I love how it says, before you were formed in the womb, he knew you. You are not just the product of a man and a woman getting together and some happenstance that God saw you, knew you, and not only did he knew you, he set you apart for an incredible good purpose that the plan of God is on your life from before you were born, that God's plan is moving and ever calling you towards it, that you are called to make a difference for God. You are called to purpose. You are called to be one that would join with Jesus in changing the world. But it takes a moment where we recognize, I am not just the product of my circumstances. I am not just what I've been to this point, but that God would, through Jesus, be calling me afresh today in 2021, even if I have followed him for 50 years, there is still more for me in God. That we have not arrived, 
that our failures may have brought us to a point which we feel like there is no way forward, but there's still more for you in God. And the disciples model the response to the call of Jesus, this return to come back to the Lord. They followed him immediately, immediately, at once. They left their nets. James and John left their boat. They left their dad all by himself. I don't know what he did. Maybe dad had some words with them, I don't know. But their immediate response was to follow. And it's a great example for everyone who says that they're a follower of Jesus, that my response when God calls me is not, I'll get back to you, I'll see about if it will fit. My response is immediate to say, God, I'm going to follow you. I don't even know what it fully means in this moment. But everything changed for them in that moment. It wasn't just a simple, yes, I'll do that. And they went on with their life. Everything changed for them in that moment. Their life would not be the same after they followed Jesus. Every decision of their life was going to be marked by the fact that Jesus had called them, had seen them. When others only saw a fisherman, Jesus saw a fisher of men. When Jesus only saw, or when others only see you as you are, God sees you as he has created created you to be from before the foundation of the world. That means that there is a future in your life that you have yet to step into. Whatever your age, whatever your spot, whatever place you're in, they followed him. Not only did they follow him immediately, the disciples follow unconditionally. No questions are recorded. Jesus, how long are we going for? Jesus, do you have money for this? Jesus, where are we going? Jesus, what what are we doing exactly? Can you kind of lay that out in a few points for me and I'll get back to you or I'll get somebody to get back to you and see if it continues to work in my schedule. No questions asked. They left what was their provision. They left their security They left their identity that might have been wrapped up in their job and they followed Jesus. It changed their perspective. It changed their direction. It changed their family. It changed their generations. And because they followed Jesus, their world was absolutely changed. And through them, the world was changed, the world around them. At that moment in history, a little over 2,000 years ago, four men on the side of a lake called Galilee that's still there. I think God is still in places like Surrey, in places like Princeton, in places like Aldergrove, in places like Vancouver, in places, God is still calling men and women and say, will you follow me? Perhaps we might be tempted to think, well, it was pretty easy for them. They were just fishing, probably not that busy. But these were not just poor fishermen as sometimes we portray them. They were also, they worked together. They had a partnership in their business. In Luke chapter five, I think it is, talks about that. Mark in the gospel of Mark in Mark 120 says that they had hired hands. So these were businessmen with a lot on the line to lose and they simply gave Jesus their yes. It's wrong to think that they were just ordinary people without anything to lose. I guess I can do it. They had a lot to lose. They had a lot on the line. And it reminds me that Jesus is not afraid to interrupt us. He's not afraid to disrupt our lives. 
our plans, our, plan, our financial plans, our life career plans. I had a life career plan. I was going to be an accountant. And Jesus interrupted my day. Some of you are, I wish you, maybe you should go do that. That may be a good idea for you. Jesus is not afraid to up our relationship plans, our financial plans, or any other plan. He readily and seemingly purposefully will insert himself into our lives and say, will you follow me? He doesn't stop. Following Jesus, whenever, wherever, however, forever. Following Jesus, whenever, wherever, however, forever. Think of a pastor friend of mine by the name of Mike Lim. He always is messing things up in a good way. He says something like this, Craig, when's the last time you did something for the first time? Um, uh, Because if you're following Jesus, when was the last time you did something for the first time? He's leading and moving somewhere. So that means, guess what? If you're following, you should be moving. I should be moving. We should be stepping into things that we have been unfamiliar with. When was the last time we did something for the first time as a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus whenever, wherever, however, forever? Mark 8, 34 to 37, and it's Jesus again. And it says, and calling the crowd to him, with his disciples, so there's a crowd and disciples, those that are kind of there for the watching of what Jesus is doing. Disciples are ones like that are, have made a decision to follow him. Uh, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, that himself means men and women. I know some of the ladies are like, whoa, this is the time I like this. I don't have to. No, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself. Take up its cross and follow me. Four, whoever would save his life will, uh, would, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it or will find it. Immediately after telling, Jesus in the few verses before this, had just told them how he was going to die. On a, he was going to die. There's going to be a terrible death. And he would be crucified and and rise again, telling them what manner of death that he would experience. And the disciples of Jesus were now said, prepare yourself to die. Die. Hmm. And what that meant was that they would no longer rule their lives, but in sacrificing a life that puts self first, they would find true life. It wasn't, all, all of the apostles, that I believe, except John, ended up having a martyrdom death. Doesn't mean that we're all going to experience that, but it could be on the table if you're a follower of Jesus. But what he's more talking about is sometimes harder than dying physically is dying to ourself, dying to our way, dying to our perspective. And it's far different from the world's position today. The world today is saying, you must assert yourself. You don't have to take anything from anybody. You just learn to assert yourself. My rights, my way, don't bother me. Don't tell me what to do. But Jesus says the way to find your life is by following him. Whenever, 
wherever, however, forever. The person who is looking for his life, doing everything they can to find life, its meaning, its purpose, and following their ambition, their goals, all seeking to save their life, they will lose it. Denying the self is not the same as self-denial where you say, I'm going to give up something for a short period of time or for a period of time. Denying self means we surrender our very selves to Jesus, our will, our perspective, our attitude. Everything gets surrendered to Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Deny yourself. It sounds simple enough to not want to do. It's maybe something that's easy to overlook. It's something we might gloss over. For others, it's not that simple. But what does deny yourself look like in real world? I'm just going to give you a few examples. These are not exhaustive, but some of the things that if you're a follower of Jesus, what deny myself means. We give up our right to put self first. It's God first, like Jesus did. We give up our right to take revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. We give up our right to hold a grudge. Forgive as God forgave you. We give up the right to hate our enemy. In fact, the Bible goes further and says not just hate, but it says do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Bless them. Whoa, that's denying self. We give up the right to be honored and served by others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. We give up the right to live by our own rules. And in a world that talks about my truth and my way and my, my rights, and we give up the right to live by our own way and our own rules. And we come under the and follow Jesus. Not always easy, but we come to follow Jesus. Imagine what life would look like, though, if in your f- life, in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, if, if you went in, if we all went in as followers of Jesus, those that are watching online, those that are watching on demand, Princeton right here, and we didn't put ourselves first, if we didn't take revenge, if we forgave as Christ forgave us, if we not only ha- did not hate our enemy, but we loved our enemy, if we ref- didn't need to be honored and served, if we gave up our, the right to live by our own rules and live by following Jesus. We might look at the reality of following Jesus and find it's easy to make excuses. I think in the scriptures where I just read about Jeremiah, Jeremiah actually said, I'm too young. I can't do this. I am too young. And the Lord said to him, do not say I am a, I am a youth for you shall go to everybody who I send you. Moses who, Moses and the Ten Commandments, Moses who parted the Red Sea, that guy, when God had called him, he actually said something along the lines of, don't send me, I can't speak. In the first part of Luke chapter 9, there was a call to follow Jesus, and later on there was this call. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, 
Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know, there are all kinds of reasons we can exclude ourselves because of our, our what's gone on in our life or where we feel and sense that we are. Say, God, you got to find somebody else. Sometimes we feel like it's not the right place, that, that, that where is this going to go, Jesus? I'm going to follow you. And Jesus said, well, I, don't, I can't guarantee you that you'll have the house you want. I can't guarantee you that you'll have the comfort you want, but will you follow me? Some people make the excuse of it's not the right time. Those who have other important things to do and say, later, I will begin to follow Jesus with all my heart later, but right now I've got a lot happening. Sometimes it's, it's because it's not the right people that we feel like that we follow and weigh the call of people more than the call of Jesus. But the disciples immediately and completely said, I will follow Jesus. Because the reality of following Jesus is not just like, oh, all these things I can't do. But Psalm 32 and 8 says this, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. And as long as we have the perspective of, wow, following Jesus, there's all these things I can't do, we will miss out and we will probably not follow Jesus with all of our heart. But he said, I will guide you. I will lead you along the best path for your life. I'm going to advise you. You're not advising him. He's advising you, speaking things into your ear, your ear showing you the way forward and, and moving in your life and watching over you. Psalm 16 and 11 says, you made known to me the path of life. The path of life, the fulfillment that we are longing for is not found in ourself, in our own agenda, our own perspective, but returning and then following Jesus. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We don't know the best way for our lives. We don't know the best way for our marriages. We don't know the best way for our family. We don't know the best way to solve that conflict. And more than ever, in a world that's gone crazy, in a world that's dark, the world needs to see a people that are listening to the voice of heaven and saying, I'm going to do things his way. I'm going to respond his way. I'm going to look that way. I'm going to walk into a situation with this perspective because I am a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus whenever, wherever, however, forever. And the worship team, if you can make, begin to make your way, his way is the best. He has the right pace for your life. Never too fast, never too slow, the right pace for your life as you follow him. He has the right place for you. Some of you are in a place of healing right now, and it's okay. Some of you are in a place of grieving right now. Some are in a place of resting. Some are in a place of activity. But there's a, not only a pace for your life, there's a place for your life in Jesus. Just remember to follow him when he says, come and lead, let me lead you beside still waters. Let's just remember to follow him when he says, I'm going to lead you through this dark valley right now. There's a pace and a place, but there's also great grace for you. It's not all about trying harder. It's like, I've got to really, really, really work at following Jesus. The beautiful thing is that Jesus fills you, if you're a follower of him, fills you with the Holy Spirit and begins to work on us from the inside out and give us a grace and an empowerment 
to live life as we're created to live. Not based on our experience, not based on the brokenness we've walked through, not based on what's got us to this moment, but following Jesus. Whenever, wherever, however, forever. He gives you beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that you might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. In other words, everything that God's doing in your life as you follow him is about causing something great to come out of your life through his power working in you, his grace. There's a pace for your life as you follow Jesus. There's a place for your life as you follow Jesus. There's grace to live as you follow Jesus and there's a race for your life. Every one of us has a unique purpose and plan in God for our life. Wherever you're at, it's not about a vocation, it's about the calling of God. And, and when, if you're a stay-at-home parent right now, that's the race that God has for you and he wants to lead you in the middle of it all. He calls me to simply give him my yes. Whether I, a mechanic, a lawyer, a teacher, a politician, God wants to lead me in the best way for my life. In places where we are right now, Lord, what and where and how and what's it going to look like? He desires to give you better ideas for your business. New creativity to artists. Parents, he desires to speak and whisper into your ear how to parent that kid so that they can see God move in their life. He knows the key to your child's heart. He knows how to fix that relationship problem at work that just doesn't seem to go away. He knows how to walk you out of discouragement and depression. He's good. He takes us right where we are. Throwing our net. Getting up, 5.30, heading to work again. Putting screaming kids to bed. Wondering, I don't know. Whatever space we're in, the invitation is, follow me. And I will show you the best path for your life. A path filled, not with ease every day, but a path that is fulfilling, a path that's impacting, a path that's full of life. Pastor Chuck Lawless shared this story to illustrate what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, when Pam, that's his wife and I lived in Ohio, our neighbor's son, young son was called Charlie. And one day Charlie came to the door and knocked on the door and said, could, could Mr. Chuck come out and play? So he had a little bit of time, so he went out and played with Charlie. Charlie was pumped because he had just received a new wiffle ball and a little plastic bat, and he was excited. He said, here's what we do, Mr. Chuck. I'll stand back and you throw the ball, and I'll hit it. So Mr. Chuck stood back and threw the ball, and Charlie missed it by a foot throws it back. Mr. Chuck throws it again. Charlie misses it again. Picks it up again. Throws it again. 
and misses it wild, with a wild, wild swing again. And Charlie finally picks up the ball, fires it back and yells, Mr. Chuck, you're doing it wrong. What do you mean I'm doing it wrong, Charlie? Mr. Chuck, you're supposed to be throwing the ball where I'm swinging the bat. He laughed at Charlie's answer. And what occurred to him days later though is sometimes we treat God the same way. We're willing to follow him as long as his plans meet ours. As long as what he demands fits in the box of our life. As long as he's pitching the ball where we're swinging the bat. But will we like disciples immediately unconditionally follow Jesus whenever, wherever, however, forever? Some two questions to think about as we respond. Will, will we give God a blank check again for our life? For our life. A blank check's a risky proposition. It's where you sign the bottom and you just hand it over, fill in the amount, everything. Will we give God whenever again in our life? Will we give him the ability to say wherever in our life, however, forever, and just lay the proverbial check for our life, not putting location or parameters on the location, the role, the timing, the authority, but giving God our life again, and letting him fill in the blanks on your check. First, of course, is you've never made Jesus the forgiver of your life, that's the first step. It's just to say, God, I surrender my life to you. But I've been around long enough to, and I've experienced myself long enough to know that sometimes I kind of pull the check back. Say, uh, I want to put some parameters around that. I want to kind of define that a little bit more closely. But following Jesus immediately and completely, a slide in the check, back across the table and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Will you, give, will you give Jesus the blank check of your life? Maybe you're a young person right now and you're saying, I don't know what my future would be. I was 13 years old in this room at a convention in the middle of worship. And I, I remember saying to the Lord, you have my yes. I don't know what it means, where it's going to take me, but you have my yes. And God heard a 13-year-old shy young boy and began a journey, imperfect journey, a journey that has been filled with lots of different things that I wish weren't there, but were there. But giving God my yes, and I've had to do it again because sometimes I'm silly and pull it back. First question, will you give Jesus a blank check for your life? Second question, I'm going to ask you, whether you're online or whether you're in person or in Princeton to ask the Lord this question. Where in my life I, where am I waiting for you to adjust your pitching for, before I follow you with all my heart? Say, Craig, I'm at church. What are you asking for? I'm not asking for anything. I'm just saying, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, that there's more for me in God. When is, there, when is the last time I did something for the first time? Do I immediately give God my yes? Do I completely give God my life? Do I have my conditions, my parameters? 
Where in my life am I waiting for you to adjust your pitching before I follow you with all my heart? I'm going to pray and turn it over to the post show in Princeton. Dear Jesus, I pray that we would not just return to you for a moment, but we would follow you. That, that as we step into the rest of this fall and as we begin to move forward, Lord, that we would give you a blank check again. For my life, my family, my purpose, my finances, my relationships. Lord, have your way. Lead me in the way that I should go. And Lord, we surrender afresh and say, your way is better. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.